0: Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, everybody, where the future is gorgeous, even if the present looks like this—looking you in the face, bloody <laughs> beady eyes staring you. Uh, yeah. Welcome to the show, guys. I am, as always, Brian McWilliams, your host into the nether regions of uh, philosophy, culture, politics, and whatever else I feel like talking about. So yeah, welcome, 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 everybody. I'm uh. Recording this a little bit later today. We'll see if I get any pity. I'm I'm doing a little live stream to our Patreon special super secret Facebook group. So we'll see if I get any comments there. I uh, usually record this a little earlier in the day. But as luck would have it, between the uh, the baby stuff, between my wife running it out, between waiting for the gardener to arrive, and of course only having one car, so a limited amount of time to go and run the errands that had to be done today. Ended up recording it late, about uh, 8 o'clock Pacific, so we'll see if any night owls on the East Coast are up to join me for this live stream. But regardless, to uh, to those of you listening on the podcast, who don't give a damn, let's get on with the show. So uh, yeah, I uh, as I mentioned, still dealing with, uh, with the baby, won't sleep, this damn baby won't sleep in the middle of the night, up for at least three to three and a half hours every night we're trying to do. The shit where you bring them outside in the daylight, get her uh, her rhythms correct, her uh, circadian rhythms, try to expose them to the sunlight, take that little vampire out there, try to turn it to ash, and so far, not happening. And of course, tonight, I had the spiciest chili I've ever eaten in my life. I made myself this coconut chicken chili, and I put these adobe peppers in it, and Jesus, it was hot. I can feel it right now, climbing up my esophagus. Like, I can feel it rising like inflation, you know, like an, an unstoppable force. And I keep trying to push it down. I try to cut back on the spending that is eating spicy chili. Try to push it down with delicious Oktoberfest beer, and it's just not working. But the good news is, at least when I'm up for three hours in the middle of the night, I'll probably have diarrhea. And uh, and just, you know, that way if the baby's being a pain in the ass, I've got diarrhea. I'm already on the shitter. Whoops! Did I drop the baby and flush by accident? Who's to say? Accidents happen every day, my friends. (laughs) Speaking of accidents, perfect segue into our first topic. I had been sent a story. My buddy Jay uh, made me aware of the fact that the accident to comedy that is Hannah Gadsby, a uh, renowned comedian who is not known for being very funny, and what I believe to be a, uh, I guess someone that's risen to prominence not due to any particular talent, not due to an ability to write a joke to save her life, uh, but in fact as a response to a cultural moment. It would be, you know, Hannah Gatsby She came up. She's obviously very non-binary looking. She is uh, someone that dresses more like a man, of course, and. Uh, much of her comedy leans into the ultra left woke style. And basically, in my opinion, she has risen because people are looking for somebody that they can laud and applaud to cater to the whims of the majority at the time, to make sure that people know that they are, quote-unquote, with it, that they're hip to the cause, and that has pushed Hannah Gadsby up. To claim that you saw or watched Hannah Gadsby's atrocious first special and her special to come, which I can't think will be any funnier, but what do I know? I guess I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll do a review on this podcast. Actually, I definitely will do a review on this podcast. To say that you sat through that, right, is a badge of honor. And that's, I mean... That's what I would say it is, right? It's like when you run a marathon. They should have HG stickers that you can put on the back of your fucking Subaru, like these assholes who run marathons and have 38.2, 28.7. Like anybody in the world gives a shit that you ran and destroyed your knees running on pavement for 28.3 kilometers. Who gives a damn? I don't care about that. Just like I don't care about your kid being an honor student. But at least with the honor student bumper sticker, I get it. The kid wants to see that. This stupid thing that you ran is just for you. And similarly, telling people you watch Hannah Gadsby's and you're so down with it and you get it, and you really feel it, that she's got a strong message, is putting that sticker on your car. Little HGs on your bumper to let everybody know that you did a thing. Good job on doing that thing. But she is a a creation of the cultural moment. Much like Yakov Smirnoff, was a creation coming out of the Cold War. Yakov, he's not going to go down in history as one of the world's greatest comedians. I'll tell you that. Nobody's buying the Yakov Smirnoff uh, highlight reel. You know, you're not going to go and watch his fame. You know, like Eddie Murphy Raw. You're not going to go out and watch, watch your, your Yakov Smirnoff. Uh, you don't know either Russia. Gatsby handles you. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not going to be happening. And how to Gadsby is Yakov Smirnoff for 20 20- I don't know, 2010 through 2022. So good job, Yakov, on getting a brand new Netflix deal. So now you're like, what the fuck is she talking about Hannah Gads for. Well, she just got a new Netflix deal. This is interesting for several reasons. Number one, she had come out. she had Her first special was on Netflix, which was lauded by the left. Um, but again, to almost everybody that's a normal human being, un- completely unfunny and, and perplexingly so that it was made. But the left loved it. She had then gone off to that special and then attacked Netflix time and time again because they had platformed Dave Chappelle. Now, Dave Chappelle is widely regarded as one of the funniest comedians to ever live. His specials, while the last one, you could argue maybe wasn't his best, it still was very funny. And Dave doesn't give a damn. He doesn't give a shit about your politics. He doesn't give a shit about your cultural wars. He doesn't really care. He's going to say what he thinks is funny, and he has. And people, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes results, if you look at any of the ratings from the consumers, again, not the reviewers, you'll see that people in mass appreciate what he's doing and think he's hilarious, but not our friend Hannah Gadsby. Hannah Gadsby says that he is a transphobe with a very stunted worldview. And I'll read you a quote from Miss Gadsby. Hey, Ted Sarandos, who is the CEO of Netflix. Hey, Ted Sarandos, just a quick note to let you know that I would prefer if you didn't drag my name into your mess. This is in regards to a letter he put out about Chappelle's special and how Netflix would not be kowtowing to the mob, mentioning that they had put out specials like Hannah Gadsby's atrocious abortion. Now I have to deal with even more of the hate and anger that Dave Chappelle fans like to unleash on me every time Dave gets $20 million to process his emotionally stunted partial worldview. You didn't pay me nearly enough to deal with the real-world consequences of the hate speech dog whistling. (laughs) You refuse to acknowledge, Ted. Fuck you and your amoral algorithm cult. So it does seem pretty funny that after saying this, fuck your amoral algorithm cult, fuck you, Ted, for not paying me enough money, I guess they paid her enough money. Seems like a sellout move by Hannah Gadsby, doesn't it? I mean, look, if you're going to take this stand that Netflix is an immoral algorithm cult, it is a little curious when, when the, uh, the bags of money are rolled up to your house, they back up the Brinks truck. Well, you just decide that you're going to roll over. I guess you're, you're non-binary when it comes to your hatred of Netflix, just like you are non-binary in the way you look at gender. Look, get your money, honey. I don't give a shit, but. Let's stop pretending. Let's stop grandstanding. If you're going to take this deal, if you're going to put a new special out after causing a stink. And the way she'll say this, she'll say, well, this is because Netflix has changed and I want to be part of the change. I want to be, if they're going to do it, I want to be part of that. It's still clearly selling out. You can't come an amoral algorithm cult and then go traipsing back over there as if nothing's happened, as if they haven't told their employees to stop protesting and to shut the fuck up. You got to pick a side, or I guess you don't, again non-binary <laughs> in her relationship with Netflix. But it does seem to me that this is the Netflix apology tour. And oddly enough, though, I would not think it's a good idea because people have been threatening to cancel the Netflix subscription subscriptions. Eh, subscriptions. Uh, not only because the costs of living have gone up again, inflation has been rising exponentially. The cost of living, the cost of gasoline as pushed forward by our wonderful loving government. These have all led to people cutting cord and cutting off streaming services as well. Netflix is one of the most expensive, but on top of that, people are also not buying into the woke leftist narrative that Netflix was pushing. You know, that the Obama tripe that rolled out, nobody was watching that. The all, They just canceled all of these different woke programs and shows. They canceled Q-Force, which stands for queer force. Nobody watched it at all. It was a cartoon show about a queer CIA force. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with creating this content. But as I've argued before, the problem is that when you're solely seeking content in this vein and you're basically leaving out 99% of your writing crowd, your writing talent, to seek out very specific, check-the-boxes content, it's not going to be that good. That's the problem with going for niche content only from certain creators because those creators aren't necessarily going to be the best. If you're, telling, you're you're playing a statistical game here, and in an industry where it's so impossible for talent to even get their shit read, trust me, I know... Trying to get anybody to read anything is almost impossible. And now the only thing these people ever look for is diversity, C- you know, diverse voices. You got to be uh black. You got to be trans. You got to be whatever is they're not taking in the broader influx of talent, uh, whether that be, you know, transcentric con- talent, t- you know, a content that's written by a, a straight woman. Well, they're not interested, right? So you're limiting your input, you're limiting the amount of scope of what you can and can't say yes to, and you're seeing the results and that people don't want to watch this. And when you're creating content that costs millions of dollars for a very niche audience, well, people aren't going to necessarily buy into that either. You could plop it on there, but if they're not seeking it out, they're not going to just opt to watch this thing because it's out there because they know what they're being pitched. They know it's a message piece and they don't want to be propagandized. People go on Netflix, they want to watch stupid shit and they want to fall asleep to it. So... This all leads the other two, this content not pulling in subscribers, not making money. And yet they're going to give Hannah Gadsby, what, $20 million? I mean, I, I don't know what the deal is, but it certainly doesn't seem to be going down the path of we should stop making this ultra-woke content because people don't want it. It tends to go in the other direction. And guess what? I don't think you're going to win people back. I don't think anybody's going to necessarily go and get Netflix just to watch a Hannah Gadsby special. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Okay, next thing, let's move along. I've got bookend, a little bit of entertainment stuff uh, on the front at the end of the podcast today. Uh, I'll tell you, by the way, real quick, quick plug for, uh, for a sponsor, Galactera, guys, sleep gummies. I highly recommend these. As you know, my sleep has not been great. Uh, I can't take them right now because they'll knock me out too much. Too good. Too good, some would say galak terra and they've got fantastic sleep gummies guys these are cannabinoid based but thc zero so you know you're not going to get you know your, your super crazy weed fix on them but they will help you sleep and they also have some tinctures etc so you can get your fix there as far as helping your body heal falling asleep relaxing Check them out. It's run by a wonderful libertarian, and I highly recommend it. Go to Galactera.com and use promo code LIONS to get 30% off your order. Can't beat it with a stick. Okay, so coming back in, I want to talk about this, this movement. And the episode title, you know, it's got a long title because I want to let people know everything I'm talking about. But the title is that, you know, we are in an era of condescending ignorance and what I mean by that is that we talk about, I mean, I guess Hannah Gadsby's a microcosm of this. We look at what people are doing, what people have been beating everybody over the head with, right? All of these world governments, all of these leftist governments that have been ushered in. And typically you get your most leftist governments ushered in in times of prosperity because people get complacent. People realize that, oh, well, you know what? I've got it pretty good right now. So I might as well, uh, I might as well push to, uh, you know, to tear down my society from the inside out. And it's literally is what happens most often, you know, when societies fall, it's because nobody has anything to fight for anymore. Like people have too good. So they're not looking for the base benefits, the base assurances. Now they're looking into, oh, well, what can I get? It's a little bit more, a little bit greater, right? It either comes from largesse or utter poverty where people are saying, well, and even again, when it comes to utter utter poverty, that is typically created by, let's say, socialist governments. That's when you get to the point of utter poverty. You typically don't get it when you have free market capitalist societies. But we're seeing this on a global scale play out because of the emphasis of world governments, the emphasis of leftist propaganda, uh, leftist policies, welfare states. And I did the, the entire last episode I did talking about how government is an attack on the family really ties into this, because as as I, I will reiterate here. All of these policies are intentional to tear apart family units. When you have welfare states, when you have all of these operations to enforce drug laws, to enforce uh different matters of regulation, different manners of basically attacking the family unit, their ability to buy a house, run a business, succeed, pass along family wealth and stay intact, which is what you're having happen. And again, I'm not going to re- reply to all this or repeat all this because you can listen to the last episode. It's an intentional tact because what you want to do if you're a government is take away a safety net, take away a a more objective sense of reality – which is what a family can give you, take away your moral values, take away your cultural identity, take away past along values and take away a sense of community. If you tear that down, then the government becomes your parent, the government becomes your business, the government becomes your lender, it becomes your safety blanket, it becomes your best friend, it becomes your source of truth, right? I thought that maybe I was alone in this, but clearly I'm seeing now on the world stage, if not also here in America, that I'm not that this is something that other people other nations are recognizing now the reason that this ties into as i've said a era of cultural and condescending ignorance is that we're seeing the rise of what some are describing as right wing you know populism or right wing nationalism or just right wing conservatism coming back to the forefront in Sweden, we're seeing that. And Sweden's no surprise because Sweden has been overridden with a lot of mass immigration. Um, you're seeing Sweden over with you know, rape gangs, violence in the streets, a lot of unemployment, the social programs gone wild. So they're dealing with a culture that was fairly homogenized. And yes, they had some immigration, but not these mass chunk immigrations, like, you know, refugees being plopped down here. You're seeing a culture struggle with the leftist policies that have forced together. Two disparate cultures, without really any idea of how it's going to work, how they can blend them into society functionally and smoothly, and without the violence, without the cultural uh, consternation that's followed it. So you're seeing Sweden now go with a right wing party, uh, which nobody thought was going to happen. Because Sweden had traditionally been very left wing. You also now have Italy. A traditionally left wing country, right? Even under, even under Mussolini, it was very still socialist leaning, right? Still left leaning, but fascist. (laughs) Well, they now have a new prime minister, Georgia Maloney, and her party is stemming from a, you know, a fascist background for sure. A basis in fascism. And I'm not talking about the fascism necessarily of, you know, going out and murdering people or controlling information flow or anything like that. I'm talking about the fascism of more in line with the nationalism, more in line with, um, I guess focusing on nation first, you know, keeping things in house, that side of that type of, of fascism, not what you'd consider when you say fascism as far as the great evils of it. Although you know how these things can snowball. But her party. I'd say is a result of this era of cultural and uh, an era of a condescending ignorance. Because what you have is people that, especially people on the left and people in the middle that were won over by these promises of socialism, of one, one world government, of eroding family units, family values, of eroding the sense of gender, eroding the sense of cultural norms that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And these people looked at these norms and they looked at anybody that attached themselves to these cultural norms as sniveling morons, as troglodytes stuck in another age that couldn't possibly be defended, couldn't possibly uh, have a reasoning behind why they would not just with open arms rush into this great new future where people are, <laughs> again, identifying as 72 different genders, uh, where people want rampant socialism, where people want to have uh, I don't even know, you know, like essentially a tearing down of all of the established norms that societies had operated on. Again, you know, getting rid of gendered bathrooms, um, bringing in universal basic income instead of having to to work, bringing in massive social welfare programs, massive bailout programs, you know, and even into forcing people to lock down um, and then shaming people who dared to want health freedoms. All of these things combined with this sense of condescension because of a dependence on the quote-unquote expert class. So people found themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place most often where they sensed that something was off. But because of the entertainment complex, because of the media complex, because of the political elites – all uniting, not all, not all as far as the elites, but entertainment complex, media complex, um, the technology complex, all uniting behind these goals, which is, you know, again, to push these, these very left-leaning policies through, well, you have people then going, okay – I can censor something off, but I'm being told from all fronts that I need to convert, that I have to go along with this, or I'm going to be canceled, or I'm going to be ostracized, or I'm going to be removed from social media, or I'm going to be looked at as a a dinosaur of the past. And my friends and my family are going to stop talking to me, which is what happened to many people should they hold on to the values of the past, the previous era. Then you have COVID coming in. You have the debates over whether or not uh, climate change is an issue because that's the other thing the left is pushing, this this climate, one world climate initiative in which we have to give up our sovereignty because we want to have a goal of reducing emissions by X. And that means that you have to give up your sovereignty, your ability to produce oil, your ability to sell or consume oil, your ability for your population to grow and consume and expand and, and industrialize. You have to give that up for the one world government, right? And they look to experts, this expert class To tell us that definitively you have to follow this path. Even though the expert class has been wrong time and time again, and typically the people that write and use quotes and and take the advice of the expert class don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Virtually every journalist you read has no fucking idea what they're talking about. They're taking someone else's word for it. They're not looking into it whatsoever. They're just parroting it and then putting it out there for the world to consume. And people read it, then they go on and they move along to something else. And there's a great, I'm trying to remember who said it, there's a great illustration of this in that someone's talking about how you read a newspaper. And I think it was actually a libertarian thinker that, that said this, but he goes, think about how you go through and read a newspaper, right? And if you're a guy that's, you know, you're very well versed in the stock market or real estate, or, or, or you're very well versed in geology, you read an article written by some journalist that supposedly is supposed to know what they're talking about. And it's completely wrong. And you know, it's completely wrong. And you go, this is, this is idiotic. How do they publish this shit? This is idiotic. Then you turn the page and then you go on and then you read the next section, which happens to be about, you know, baby rearing and you go, okay, well, let's, let's read this. And you believe it, even though you just read something, you know, is factually inaccurate because you actually know what that topic is. You're well versed in it. You're read in it. You flip to the next page and you believe the shit there because you're not as well versed in it because you then you buy into the journalist, you buy into the expert class during COVID. We saw the expert class be basically considered God Kings among us, God King Fauci, You know, Walensky over at the the CDC or the World Health Organization, these people who were exalted as being some sort of all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipotent creators that could figure out how we can navigate something that in nature is going to do whatever it's going to do. And we saw how it played out. We saw that every decision they made was terrible. It was wrong. It backfired from the vaccines or the vacations. (laughs) Don't want to use that word, right? Get blackballed again to the lockdowns to the uh six foot distancing to shutting borders down to going outside to wearing masks all of these things were wrong and the expert class told us that definitively that they would be effective and work and of course they're absolutely wrong we see in monetary policy and the and the economy all the experts 100% wrong you see it in the in the international espionage space How many times have we been told by the CIA and the NSA and the FBI, oh, well, this is disinformation. This is clearly Russian disinformation or or the DNC was hacked for sure. And then you find out, no, they weren't. This wasn't Russian disinformation. That was Hunter Biden's laptop. And you knew it the whole time. They lie to us. But yet people still look to the expert class to defend their opinions. And again, with a sneering condescension to anybody that would dare argue against it. This is what I'm saying. This is the era of condescending ignorance. And you see that play out in politics because people went along with these far-fetched leftist pushes from this international world government, pushed through again. And monetary policy has a lot to do with it because you've got the IMF funding everybody, you've got the Federal Reserve funding everybody and pushing up these different countries to push forth again, green policies, a uh, global world currency, or at least if you listen to John Odermatt's show on Monday, which I recommend you do, country-backed currencies, which can be controlled, defended, altered. They can shut off one you can and can't buy. But again, this is all tied into an emphasis on control of people. But you have these these you know people buying into these massive initiatives, buying into being denied basic liberties, being denied their ability to save and put money away because these massive inflationary uh, procedures that have been undertaken by the Federal Reserve and international world governments. They buy into it because the expert class is telling them that they should, and the journalists are parroting that information. And they believe themselves to be well-versed because they've read this parroted bullshit without going into the actual studies, without going into find out for themselves what this is, or at least just using their eyes, using their own logic and their brains to look around and say, none of this is adding up. None of this is making sense. And I can see tangibly around me that the world is falling to pieces, but they won't do that. Instead, They will look at you, and they'll look down their nose, and they'll call you a moron because they are so confident within their sphere of ignorance that they have no other alternative but to do so. And it's this ties in with social media, this ties in with, uh, with the identities that people portray on social media, where, and again, my bad people theory, which is what I will stand by with COVID and with climate change, because now we're pivoting from COVID to climate change. And the bad people theory is this. Once people buy into this propaganda, once they buy into the expert class, once they buy into this condescending mentality that they are right and there is no way you can defend any alternative position, well, if they should be wrong, demonstrably wrong, it still won't matter. Because should they be wrong... That means they are bad people for fostering this environment, for forcing people to lose their jobs, their businesses, their savings, for forcing people to lock themselves in their houses, for canceling their neighbors, for forcing people to lose their jobs by complaining and, you know, all these different things, pushing forces, diversity and whatever initiatives and justice initiatives that are getting college professors fired that dare to speak up for logic or reason. These people are bad people. And they cannot tolerate that. So we find ourselves within this era of condescending ignorance with very little chance of getting out of it without some very drastic changes or very drastic and apparent alterations in the world. And that may be coming sooner rather than later. I mean, when we look at the economy, when you look at supply chains, when you look at the inflation going on, it does look like there's going to be a massive recession coming. And I don't know how it's going to be avoided. Nobody do- no, really nobody does. So let's turn our our, our attention then to to Italy, right? And Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney. And I want to play her speech, and uh, I'll I'll play it, you know, quietly in the background, and I'll talk over it because uh, it's not translated. But it's only about two minutes long. So let me play this real quick. And you can see where she is. Okay. Well, this is a speech that she's giving after she's basically been confirmed that she will take over as the prime minister of Italy. Um, her party, this right wing party, uh, again, based in, you know, historical fascism, they got something like 25 percent of the vote. So she still has to have a little bit of a coalition, but she is the prime minister. And Italy, by the way, is in a, a period of deep debt. They have a 150 uh, percent debt to GDP, but yet they're getting money from the uh, Central European Bank much as the United States gets from the Fed. And as much as they talk about these different actions, they are being threatened. And the head of the European Union is threatening them. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the gal right now as they took over for... Uh for the last German leader. She's another German. But she is equally terrible, equally focused on climate and the EU and authoritarianism and has basically threatened Italy uh, that if they don't stand in line or if any other nation doesn't stand in line with basically Brussels-friendly policies, that there are quote-unquote tools that can be used against them. So they are terrified that Italy and other nations are going to leave when faced with this erosion of family and culture um, that's being presented. However, Italy in its debt state I don't know if they can leave. Maybe they will, but I think right right now, probably not. Probably they're going to go into a further debt spiral. They're going to borrow more money in order to have some sort of fiscal stimulus, right? Because that's one of the things they're trying to do too—get their get their economy up and running—and that's just going to cause mass inflation, as we see time and time again. But I digress. Let's let's look at her. Let's hear this speech, and I'll read it to you. So this is her speaking. She says, Please answer me these questions. This is about what we are doing here today. Why is family an enemy? Why is the family so frightened? There is a single answer to all these questions because it defines us, because it is our identity, because everything that defines us is now an enemy. For those who would like us to no longer have an identity, to simply be perfect consumer slaves. So then let me just pause it real quick. So she keeps talking about consumer slaves, right? So this is where, (coughs) again, you get a little bit of the fascism in here. Because when we talk about her fascism, she's going to want to take over. She's going to let you keep your companies. Right. But she's going to want to control how you how your pay structure is, what you're manufacturing, how you're manufacturing it, how you're dealing with your workers, how you're dealing with your hiring, all that kind of stuff. So that is the fascism that I'm talking about when it comes to the economics of it. So, again, she will say consumers, perfect slave consumers, without acknowledging that the governments of the world have also created consumers. Everyone that is getting a welfare payment, everybody is getting uh, any sort of government assistance is a consumer. You are a consumer of government propaganda. You are a consumer of uh, the government uh, identity that's being pushed on you. And of course, you are part of the workforce I talked about how the United Nations is a big fan of people being hungry and starving because they said that that motivates the workforce. So there you go. You are a consumer slave in that regard to the government, not just to corporations. And we also know that corporations and government love each other. Big corporations and big government work hand in hand. This is another way they erode competition, erode families, and erode your ability to succeed because – Small business has the best way to upset, to overturn uh, existing technologies, to create business, to create growth in business, to pass along wealth and create wealth for communities. The government knows this. Big corporations know this. There's a reason they want to regulate so much that it's hard for anybody else to get into marketplaces. So back to this. And so this is picking up her quote. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself as italian christian woman mother no I must be citizen X gender X parent one parent two I must be a number because when i am only a number when I no longer have an identity or roots then i will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial spectacle and that's what these world governments are the perfect consumer she says and that is true they want you know cheap credit easy money um on a government to level and for consumer level That's the reason why, she says. That's why we inspire so much fear. That's why this event inspires so much fear. Because we do not want to be numbers, but we will defend the value of the human being. Every single human being, because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, what is that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family, <laughs> nationalism those things that disgust people so much. We will do it to defend our freedom because we will never be slaves and civil consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote more than a century ago. Now she's looking through her papers. <laughs> she can't find the quote. <laughs> fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer the time has arrived we are ready thank you. so there you go i mean i would say that's pretty goddamn poignant for the time we live in when we have people literally arguing that gender is not a thing anymore, that, you know, easily identified male and, and female anatomies are no longer a thing that is simply a, a figment of your imagination. When we have people literally arguing and writing books about critical race theory, arguing that two and two is not four. Uh, when we have people arguing that – and, again, her point about financial speculation and um, – I don't think she said exactly the banks, but when we talk about financial speculation, that also does come in as they talk about the IMF, the, like the International Monetary Fund, which is just porting money out. Even to this day, they're still porting money out to Russia, right? And you would say, if Russia is this great evil, as we're told, then why are they receiving so much money from the IMF? Who do you think is going to help to support the rebuilding of Hungary or, or uh, Ukraine? Who do you think props up all of these countries, these lower countries? They take money from richer nations, they prop up poor ones, and then they lend the money back to the richer nations when they need it to bail them out because their currencies have been devalued because they're printing money hand over fist. It's a cycle designed to basically prop up a broken financial industry and to keep the game going, uh, that game being bailout, right? Keep the spigot of money flowing, cheap, easy money without any repercussions because it's not tethered to anything. So her talking about financial speculation is pretty on point. How does this tie into the age of cultural ignorance, of condescending ignorance, Brian? You keep talking about it, but how does it... Well, here's how. All of the condescending ignorance has led to this point. It has led to the point where you have two and two not making four, where you do have a debate about whether or not a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Uh, When you do have right wing, and, and the left calls everybody right wing because they have no real idea i guess of what right right wing is and don't understand the power of words in this context but this again is the problem of the the sneering derision that everything you say is right and anything else is clearly white ring extremism and, and racism whatever else is when you have this condescending ignorance to paint everybody else that isn't you as evil well it leads to governments like this coming to power it gives people like georgia maloney an opportunity to get in here and bring back real forms of fascism not the fascism that you call any you know i get any college professor that doesn't uh properly gender pronoun somebody or have gender pronouns in their name uh, or or somebody that you think is a a fascist because they dare to want to keep their store open and prosecute shoplifters that's not fascism Fascism is what you're ushering in with this sneering bullshit that you've been propagandizing people with, that you've been punishing people with throughout the last 25, 30 years that has become culturally dominant to the point where to rebel and to resist, which is what you're seeing now from younger generations. And I bet a lot of the votes that she got weren't just from older people. I bet they were from younger people. Because the younger generation now is seeing how everything's being torn down and pulled out in front of them, how the money's being devalued. They're seeing how people are now getting canceled left and right, how nobody can speak freely. And they are saying, this is not the culture I want. The dominant culture will be rebelled against no matter what, right? Kids always rebel against their parents, but they're seeing that there's a tangible danger to them. And this is why it's leading to this government, to Sweden changing, to Italy changing, to the European Union possibly breaking apart. And I think it very well could. So there you go. Let's move on. Let's move on to another topic. And uh, I'll wrap it up because I wanted to talk about a little bit of, uh, of House of Dragons. And I was going to skip the House of Dragons um, until I watched a little bit more. But I'm, I'm caught up. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm up to, what is it, season, episode five. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I saw an article in The Atlantic And it was some chick whining about how there were not enough likable characters in House of Dragons for her to care about who took the throne. I thought that was interesting for several reasons. Ah, A little sip of my Oktoberfest beer here. Number one, I thought it was pretty interesting in that we are living in an era where there are no likable rulers. Uh, arguably so, right? You know, we're talking about who's gonna, who's gonna win between the Ukraine and Russia. I don't know. They're both unlikable fucks. They're both authoritarian dictators at this point. They're both absolutely corrupt. They're both abusing and using, uh, finances, uh, abusing and using their people. Uh, fuck them both. I don't care. Right? On the world stage, we talk about the the wrangling between the United Nations and NATO and all these other things, the global leaders that are moving our monetary supply around, that are debasing the value of all of our currencies. These are all bad people. You know, if one wins and the other wins, whoever takes over at the uh, European Union, whoever decides that they're going to be the voice at the UN, again, doesn't really matter because my best interests are never going to be in their minds. The same thing with House of Dragons. To think that you need to have somebody to root for at all times is folly. Now, what comes down to be interesting in House of Dragons is, yes, there really aren't many likable characters. At least not that I have a chance to rule. But Game of Thrones had a couple likable characters. Oh, they all died because that's what happens in politics, right? You have to have the most evil intent to even operate in this sphere for the most part. And that's sort of thing is intriguing. When you talk about House of Dragons, you're talking about all of these people working behind the scenes. You know, this guy's pushing his daughter in to fuck the king so she becomes the queen. This other girl's banging, you know, her, her husband turns out to be gay, so she's banging some dude behind his back to create uh, offspring because that's her duty. All of these things tie in with the intrigue of who will win, who can be the most evil, who can be the most ruthless. That was how these these kingdoms operate. That's how things still operate if people are not well aware of it. Hillary Clinton laughed about Gaddafi being speared to death up his asshole, famously saying, we came, we saw, he died while giggling. That chick was almost president. I'm sorry, is this not Game of Thrones enough for you? Is this not House of Dragons enough for you, (laughs) writer at The Atlantic? The point is, if you're going to take a a view of it, if you're going to watch a show, well, it's about how they do it. It's about the intrigue of the characters. It's about how the world uh, operates, how it unfolds, what you can see, what you can't see, what you can perceive, and what you can't perceive. And I actually am finding myself to be pretty well entertained by it. I didn't think I would. I thought I was going to be dished up a, a big heaping plate of, you know, again, leftist shit. It's been a lot better than I thought, though. So the way... House, or the way Game of Thrones wrapped up, the last two seasons were just awful. I mean, it was really Hollywood writer tropey. It was leaning well into left-leaning politics, left-leaning politics, even the way in which they have these, these strong female characters, right, who had been established on their own merit without having to wink at the viewer or explicitly say to the viewer you must respect these characters because they are women in power and they literally had in the final season of game of thrones a sit down between two of the main female characters who had been around now for eight seasons or whatever it was we'd had them established we grew to to appreciate them for being strong women yes in a man's world but they didn't spell that out every fucking time literally sit across from each other and go you know it's pretty amazing that's where women in this man's world it was eye-rolling shit, right? So I expected more of the same. Now, the first episode of House of Dragons did start off with an eye-rolling moment. Once you got past that, it gets a little bit better. There's still a little bit of, you know, dynamics between male and female, but for the most part, they've left that to the wayside. And I really appreciate that. The one thing that I was curious about too is that, again, I read another article saying that, both Game of Thrones and House of Dragons have a gay problem. Now, what this problem could be, I couldn't tell you because both of them have had gay characters in it. There was a gay character who was literally uh, trying to be king and he had a, a huge army at his back full of what I would probably guess are mostly straight warriors, right? This king who had deer antlers on, I can't remember his fucking name at this point, this is now, you know, eight years ago. But gay character had a gay lover. Now, he didn't end up winning uh, or surviving even. <laughs> you have a gay character in the current House of Dragons and a very brutal scene happens with his gay lover, but he still is alive. I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't think this is spoiling everything. Five episodes in, he's still alive. Is the point of this gay problem as perceived by the left that You have to have the gay characters win because, look, Eddard Stark in the first Game of Thrones was the most likable character. He wasn't gay, but he was the most likable character. He was the most heroic. It didn't end well for Eddard. Just because you have a gay character doesn't mean they have to be the hero of the story. Patton Oswalt, who used to be funny, used to be insightful. Patton Oswalt once said that if he, you know, his goal, he would love to play a gay character that was just a fucking imbecile. And I wrote a screenplay. It's a very funny screenplay. I've gotten very good reviews as far as submitting at the contest and having readers review it. Uh, But again, like I said, good luck to me as a straight white man getting anything read by anybody now. But I wrote a gay character in this publication or this uh, this screenplay. And I intentionally said, you know, that's a great idea. I'm just going to make him a fucking idiot. Because... You don't want to have the stereotype all the time that the gay character has to be funny and has to be smart and they have to win because we have to appreciate these characters simply because they're gay. No. No. Make them interesting. Make them rich. Make make them uh, deep- where we can appreciate what they're doing. And just because Game of Thrones didn't make the gay character win the first one or kills off a gay lover in the second one. And by the way, the way this gay lover was killed was not because he was gay. It was because he went up to a guy who was keeping a secret and antagonized him. And that man happened to be a violent person. People die all the time in Game of Thrones. People die all the time in House of Dragons. That's the point. It keeps you on your toes. It makes the show interesting. I mean, Soap operas have lots of people in them that aren't nice. And, you know, not everybody's going to be nice in life, but it certainly isn't a problem. They certainly are represented. It certainly is a diverse casting. I don't know what else to tell you. So, there's my reaction to House of Dragons as of right now, five episodes in. I do think it's getting pretty interesting. I do think the intrigue is ramping up. I like the way in which the characters have developed so far, and it reminds me more of the old-school Game of Thrones than it does the last couple seasons, which were pure trash. Maybe this is because uh, George R.R. R. Martin is involved. Maybe they took the uh, the slaps on the chin that they got from ruining the show the last couple seasons and fired. I know it's all new showrunners, all new writers. They got rid of the hacks. So anyway, there you go. If you want to check it out, you can do so. If you want to support this podcast, you can also do so by subscribing. Please do subscribe, not only to the Lines of Liberty Network podcast, which you'll notice has some special bonus shows uh, I did with Robbie the Fire Bernstein, some hate watch episodes where we looked at Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton's embarrassing desperate attempt to claw themselves back into the spotlight it's almost like watching buffalo bob look down like i felt like i was buffalo bob from, from silence of the lambs wearing a chick's chick skin suit staring down at these two desperate things telling them to uh to put the lotion on their skin as they broke their fingernails off trying to climb out of this pit that is obscurity and where these two frankly belong but we hate watch two episodes. The first was about comedy. Uh, the Clintons talk to comedians. If you were wondering if there's anything said that's funny in any way in the episode, you'll have to watch because outside of us saying it, <laughs> outside of our commentary, I'll tell you, not that much. And the second one they did was on uh, I don't know the Hillary, the Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton were talking to like I don't know some broad that used to be a Nazi and now is like fighting Nazis. The Clintons are out fighting Nazis, guys. It's uh, inglorious bastards too. Clinton Boogaloo. So go check that out. Let's Lions Let me network feed. Also, John Odermat and I are going to be doing a, a special new show on Fridays, which uh, I think we might unveil as as soon as this week. So make sure to subscribe to that feed. Uh, give it a five star review if you could wherever you can. And also, Mean Age Daydream guys, I released a, a bonus episode of Mean Age Daydream talking about Dilbert getting canceled in almost a hundred newspapers because of a joke about ESG. So go listen to that. That's on the Mean Age Daydream solo feed support the youtube we're trying to get the youtube for finding freedom and mean age daydream up because we are shadow banned so fucking badly on our main lines liberty youtube that we can't do anything on it nobody sees our videos i already have a video i just posted on the mean age daydream feed has lapped a video that uh was on the lines liberty feed even though the lines liberty feed has six thousand five hundred subscribers and mean age daydream right now since i just launched it has like 20 Shadow banning. So please go subscribe to that. um All right, that's it. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, Lions of or Lions of Liberty.locals.com, uh, and all that good stuff. All right, that's it. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty Network, and from Mean Age Daydream, keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that Ray Gun to my head. Uh,